0: Well we come upon the part in Joshua the story of the crossing of the Jordan and it is essential at this point that we go back to the theme of the entire book both for the Jews and for us today. The primary way that we understand any piece of literature is to understand what the central theme is. What the central purpose of the book is. If we get the right theme thematic thing down about a book, then we understand when we go into the forest, the trees, we see it. The crossing of the Jordan for the Jews is the historical narrative of they, when they went into the promised land. They, they conquered the, their enemies and they took possession. Now, that's important for Jewish history because the Messiah was to be brought forth from the Jewish nation. They had to have a land in order to bring them forth. So for the Jews, that was the theme. But for us, as New Testament believers, we are looking back into the book of Joshua with a different, a theme that goes with that, but with a different lens on. The book of Joshua, for us, as we look back, has nothing to do with a historical narrative, although the historical narrative is true, It is for us the understanding that God, through the cross, has destroyed the power of sin within our lives. There is a thing inside of all believers. You know what it is, you may not know its name. It's called flesh, it's called sin. As they wandered in the wilderness before they crossed over the Jordan, <clears throat> they knew God, they followed God, but the power of the flesh was still within them. But with the crossing of the Jordan is the New Testament equivalent or parallel of the Christian understanding finally that not only has Jesus died for him, but he died with Christ. And at that point that the believer sees his, his life gone and in Christ, the very power and central force of flesh, the power of that is broken. It is not broken by prayer. It is not broken by Bible study. It is not broken by church attendance, devotion, faithfulness, anything we do. The power of sin has been broken once and for all. When Christ died as us. But we don't enter into that victory that we already have. Until we see our lives crucified with Christ. Amen. Now it's important for you to get that. Because when you read commentaries about the Jordan River and the crossing over. The commentators talk about all kinds of things. Like the crossing over the Jordan is... Victory over situations in our lives. We all got stuff we want deliverance from, do we not? People we'd like to get deliverance from. We like all kind of stuff, you know, to come about in our lives. A hurdle we can't get over. A specific pocket of sin in our life we'd like to have victory over. That's not the crossing of the Jordan. The crossing over the Jordan... Is the believer's understanding that the flesh, however it's displayed in our lives, because for me it's different than you, but it's that self rule, it's wanting my way, that has been broken in the crossing over of the Jordan. That is the central theme of the crossing over. It is not this thing you've got to get over. It's not the circumstances you need to get on and have victory over. It's something deeper. It's something way down deep that is the source of all our problems. Self. Flesh. It's the central cord of it all. We would hack off the branches of the tree. I don't like this branch. Let's cut it off. The problem with hacking off branches is they grow back. Do they not? In fact, the more you hack them off, the more the the plant realizes, oh, I want a new branch. So it comes out somewhere else. God does not hack the branches of sin off in our lives. He goes for the very root of the tree. Because if you sever the tap root, within time, all the branches of sin die. The crossing is the severing of the tap root of flesh itself in our lives. You get that thematic thing in your mind, or you'll misinterpret what we're talking about. All right, so this is the crossing. You'll notice in the picture behind me, we've got to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Now, most of what we know about the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of, uh, yeah, the the box they carried around was, well, Indiana Jones. That's kind of what we know. (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you will. But let's talk about that Ark. This is a little picture of their crossing. They're going to come down from the, your left, your right there, cross over, and they're going to go up to Gilgal, camp out for a little bit, and make it down to Jericho. But let's talk about the ark. We don't know for sure what the ark looks like. There's a lot of different pictures and sculptures. We know basically it was a box. It was a box with rings on the side that poles were shoved through to, in order for the priest to carry it. Now, this is one of the most picturesque symbols in all the Old Testament full of rich and deep theology. It's important for us to understand the ark because the Israelites are going to be told in a minute to look at the ark while they're going over the Jordan. Now, let's talk about the ark. The ark was made of Achaia wood. Achaia wood was found in the desert. That's where it was found. It was overladen with gold. All except the lid. The lid was solid gold, but the outside was Achaia wood overlaid with gold. First picture of Jesus Christ, you see, is the fact that Achaia wood came out of a dry desert. Isaiah said he would come as a dry root out of the desert. That he would be born man in common Achaia wood stuff. In the backwater of Nazareth, he would be raised. A common man. You couldn't pick him out from a crowd if you saw him. But he was overlaid with gold, which speaks of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is man and he is God all at the same time. But the, the contents of the ark were covered over not with a combination of K and gold, but solid gold. Because the inside is going to picture his work. And his work has nothing to do with mankind. It has everything to do with the fact that he is God. Only God could die on the cross for us. Only God could pay that price. Only God could do the work to set us free. So you see the outside box is a K, a K covered with gold. The top is solid gold. So what's inside? Basically, there are three things. We'll talk about the cover in a minute. There were three things. First of all, there were two stone tablets, which is the law of God, which was the Ten Commandments, it were carved by the very finger of God. Those stone tablets were placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. It speaks of the law, it speaks of the lawgiver. Secondly, there was a bull with a little bit of manna left over to always carry. Obviously, the manna didn't rot and grow worms. It stayed fresh, but manna in a bowl. Thirdly, in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod, the one that budded. Now, what do these picture for us? First of all, Aaron's rod. Uh, The stories, I think back in Numbers, when there was a challenge to Aaron's priesthood, And all the priests laid their rods side by side. And it was Aaron's that budded. This speaks of resurrection life. This speaks of the only bona fide priest. The Aaronic line, if you will. Christ is our high priest. Due to resurrection life. He is the one to bring us to God, which was the priest's occupation second of all let's talk about the tablets of stone this is the preaching of the truth this is the prophet's place this is the prophet's place to preach Jesus is the great prophet he is the one who shares truth with us and the only truth there is and thirdly the bowl of manna this is kingship this is the king who feeds us you remember when he fed the 5000 with the bread? You remember what they wanted to do? They wanted to make him a a king. Because by the king's hand we are supplied with food. So you have the prophet, the priest and the king. Jesus said I am the way. Jesus said I am the truth. Christ said, I am the life. This is a picture of Jesus Christ in that ark of the covenant. Now notice it was covered over. You couldn't see it. There was no glass windows on the side. This mighty work of God that he worked on the cross is hidden from our eyes. We know it happened. But can we ever understand its great mystery? Never. Not fully. Over top was a solid gold cover. And on that cover you'll see behind were sheriff's angels who spread their wings. I'll give you another view of it. Spread their wings to cover what's called the mercy seat. On top of that cover was the mercy seat. Now this ark was kept in the tabernacle in the wilderness and was to be brought in and was brought into the temple. And on the great day of atonement, the high priest would go in with the blood and he would smather it. He would cover it on that mercy seat with the angels covering and looking over. This is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of the fact that mercy triumphs over law. Ten commandments in that box. Perfect law of God. But we didn't need law. We needed mercy. What are the angels doing? They're watching. They're fascinated. Do you know that? Do you know they study you? They study me? Some days I wonder what they think. Don't you? I mean, we're fascinating to them. They watch us. They didn't need to be saved. The ones that didn't rebel are elect angels, but they watch you. They want to see how salvation plays itself out in my life and in your life. Now, that's a lot of history, but you've got to understand what the ark is as we're going in because it's, it's incremental in the story. So, take a look at chapter 3, the book of Joshua. Chapter 3, the book of Joshua. Then, whenever you see the word then, find out what happened before, because then causes something else to happen. So look back at chapter 2, verse 24. They said to Joshua, who are they, the the two spies that came back after checking the land out. Remember the, the spies. They said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hand. And also... The inhabitants of the land, they melt away in front of us. That's a good report. That's something a leader wants to hear before he goes in and conquers. So what did Joshua do with all this great information? The fact that, now remember, the inhabitants of Canaan land are a picture of sin within our lives. That God wants to conquer. And Joshua's leader's just been told... The inhabitants melt. The land is ours to take. What does Joshua do? Does he calculate with his generals? Does he study the land for another week? Notice what he does in chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose up early. Don't miss that. Now, how many of y'all are early risers out there? The rest of you hate us. But this has nothing to do with who gets up singing in the morning. This has to do with Joshua seeing the truth of the victory of God and he moved. He believed it and walked in it. When God shows you truth that you've been crucified with Christ. When God reveals to you from the word that you're dead with him and his life lives in you when you see that the land of victorious living has been given to you, not to be earned but received, move. Receive it. Walk as if it were true. Don't calculate anymore. Years ago, if some of you remember, we had considered selling this property and buying somewhere else and moving. The church voted to the affirmative, and we tried, and the Lord closed all the doors, and I'm glad he did. I love this property. I love this place. But the Lord said no. But in the process, I spent about three months of my life digging up property all over the place trying to find stuff. And I found a piece of property, five, six acres, would have been just perfect up off Old Middleburg. So I talked to an old gentleman named Mr. Smith on the phone. And I said, several offers had come in for that property, and I was making my pitch for the church. I was saying, you know, this is what we want to. That's what we. And I made the whole pitch, and all of a sudden, silence on the phone. Silence, awkward silence. I said, Mister Smith, are you there? He said, I'm. I'm thinking. (laughs) When God reveals the fact that. Christ died for you, unbeliever, don't ask your cousin what he thinks. Don't ask your friend if you ought to get saved. Don't leave the building without running down and and receiving Christ. Christian, if you're living under the load of sin, what are you doing under there? That's not where God placed you. Move. Don't hesitate. Don't pray about it. Lord, give me victory. He's already given you victory. Lord, show me that you love me. He died on the cross to show you. He doesn't need to show you anything else. Don't hesitate when God shows you truth that the Jordan and the land is yours. So, verse 1. takes a long time to get through a verse sometimes, doesn't it? Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. So they're lodging, I suppose. We would say east of the Jordan, verse two. And at the end of three days, why does it take three days? Well, think about it. You've got two million Jews, and they aren't all men. You've got women and children. You've got to pack the makeup bag. You know, you've got to tote this and tote that. I mean, think about you getting this morning. If you've got kids and a, a wife, think about getting out of the house. Was it fun? Sometimes you run late, don't you? It took a while to get two million Jews in place. So don't, I don't think there's anything spiritual about the three days. I think it's just wisdom of Joshua to know that it's going to take a while to get all these kids and, and wives, and if it's fine, it just takes time. Keep that in mind, by the way, gentlemen, when you go on vacation, you go on a long cross-country trip. Anyway, I won't go there. So at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people. And this is what they said. Before I, before I read that, notice, uh, skip down to verse 15. Go down to the B part of 15. And there should be parentheses there. There's a parenthetical thought at the end of verse 15. It said, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. This was the time of harvest. The river had overflown its its banks and become deep and rushing with current. But notice they are not commanded to look at the Jordan. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm standing in the crowd and I'm looking at the river, aren't you? Jericho's over there. I'm over here. There's a river between us. That's what I'm focused on, but not the command. The commanders go throughout the the, the camps, and this is what they said. Notice, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, when you see that, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Did Did you catch that? Get your eyes off sin and flesh and the power of that sin and look to Jesus Christ alone. Ignore the Jordan. The Jordan is no longer an issue with God and it shouldn't be with you. Keeping your eyes on the prophet, the priest, and the king. Keeping your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy of God. Move forward. Because the closer you get to the Jordan, the more you're going to hear it and the more you're going to see it. I find it's fascinating that God chose the time of the year when the power of the Jordan was at its zenith in order to cross over. Why did not he wait for the middle of trickle time? Because he wanted to show us that no matter how powerful flesh and sin is in your life and mine, he has broken it. He has broken it. It does, God, no honor to bemoan sin in your life flesh. It does, God, no honor to make excuses of why I'm this way or that way or this way. Well, you know, my grandfather had a bad temp. Well, so what's that got to do with flesh in your life? Nothing. It goes on in the story. It says, verse 4, Look at the honor that's given to the Ark of the Covenant. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. Well, that means nothing to me. A cubit's 18 inches. Uh, This is 1,000 yards. Break it down, it's 1,000 yards. This is 10 football fields away. That's a long way. But you got... Two million people. And two million people have to keep their eye on an ark. So let's back off so we all can see it. You know who the gospel of Jesus Christ is for? All men. All men. God has placed it for all men in all corners of the earth because he loves all. And he wants to show the gospel of Jesus Christ. So back off. Stay back so all can see it. The gospel is not our own particular possession. It's the possession of every heart that's ever beaten on the face of the earth. Every man, woman, and child. It's for all. A couple more verses and we'll we'll notice it says, Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. Do not come near it stand off in reverence of it watch where it goes notice for you have not passed this way before what does that mean you know my my senior prom that was that was the theme of our senior prom you shall never You may never pass this way again. Remember that old song out of the 70s? That was a theme of our project. And I always thought, well, duh, no joke. We're never going to never be 18 again. This has nothing to do with you've never been there before. What did it mean? Listen carefully. The Israelites were going to fight in a way they had never fought before. They were going to cross over Jordan by the very act of God himself. And then they were going to come up to the great city of Jericho and battle in such a way that no army has ever battled before. They have never fought that way before. Now, they conquered some kings east of the Jordan, but they did it by their military skill. But not so in Jordan, or Jordan, not so in Jericho. They were to fight by fate. I mean, think about it. They were to surround the city and walk around seven times, blow a trumpet in the walls. You've never done that before? You know, you and I have battled sin in our lives our whole life. And the way of the cross is something absolutely different and revolutionary and radical from anything you've ever done. You've stayed away from sin. You've tried to block sin. You've tried to pray yourself through sin. You've memorized verses so that the sin would stay away. None of that stuff cuts off the power of the flesh. None of it. We have never fought like this before. But when you begin to believe that you're dead with Christ, when you begin to believe that his resurrection life flows through you, when you begin to walk in that truth, That I am dead in relation to sin and alive to God. You have never battled sin in your life in that way before. We will begin to see real victory. God doesn't have five ways to deal with sin, He has one. It's the cross of Jesus Christ, it's what He did on the cross. That's it. Three things. Number one, walk quickly in the light you receive. Walk quickly when you get light. When you see truth, follow it, walk in it, embrace it. Don't ask questions. This has nothing to do with God speaking to you directly about some area in your life that you need. This has, it's more concrete than that. When you see your life cru- crucified with Christ, when you see the truth of this word, follow it, walk in it, believe it, embrace it. Don't ask the opinions of other Christians. I spent last week at a writer's conference in Asheville, and I got my motivational speech from an um, 80-year-old agent, a literary agent. Now, he's been editing and following books for 60 years, which is two years more than I've been alive. So I sat down with this gentleman, and I was kind of in awe of him, you know, and all I really wanted him to do is read two pages out of one of the chapters. And it was a dark chapter. It was this valley of spider oaks, and it's kind of demonic, and it's dark. And, and he looked it over, and, and my heart's beating, and he's reading it, and he flips the page, and he's just in his glass, he's looking it over. And he's, he finally, after two and a half pages, felt like eternity to me, he looks up, and he said, well, it's dark. I could have told him that. He said, it's dark. I said, yeah, but I'm pressing him because I, I want to I, I know. I said, what did you think, though? What did you think? He said, well, he, he said, man, for, for creative energy, it's fine. And then he looked up at me and says, but it'll never sell. I'm sorry. I thought to myself, you may not live long enough, but I'll prove you wrong someday. <laughs> I said, give me, give me my chapter back. Um, It's astonishing to me. He doesn't know the theme of the book. He doesn't know any of the characters. Read two pages, tell me the whole book. Listen, Satan will always tell you. Friends, you'll tell yourself, I'll never overcome sin. It won't sell. It won't work. And nothing ever does with this. Yeah, it does. The power of God is in the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Therein is your great victory. And you don't have to ask for it. You got it. You don't have to pray for it. You got it. You don't have to come to church 10 times. You got it. Right now, the victory is yours. So walk fast in it. The Jordan River is our common fact of sin. Crossing over the Jordan has nothing to do with this, oh, this area of pornography in my life or this area of, 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 of anger. It has nothing to do with jealousy. It has nothing. Those are branches on the tree. What's wrong with me is the same thing wrong with you. Flesh. That's where pride comes from. That's where I want, I want to be king of the castle comes from. That's where all the manipulation comes from. When somebody talks bad about you, that's where the anger comes. Self. Flesh. Crossing over the Jordan pictures the taproot, not the branches been to the, i've never done this game because it looks so stupid but have you ever been to like the fair or some kind of arcade when they got all those holes out there and these little things pop up and you got this hammer and you just you know what i mean and you just got to be fast i never said it's just stupid you know i just maybe i tried it once it wasn't fast enough you know but just as soon as you beat one down there's another one comes up that's what flesh is in our life you get victory over that, and then he pops up, and then he pops up, and then he pops up. Just go over to the machine and pull the plug out, and then, and then nothing pops up. Nothing pops up. Thirdly, our eyes must remain on the work of Jesus Christ. As we're going toward that Jordan and understanding our lives are dead and hit with keep your eyes on him. Because the closer you get, the more the waters look closer and rage and rage and high and the currents. eh, Who cares? I'm just following Jesus Christ. In fact, the Christian is most aware of sin in their life the closer they get to God's victory over it.